you would stand with me for the reading of God's Word. Our text will be verse number 12, but we're going to start at verse number 10. Second Timothy 3, verse number 10. But thou hast fully known my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, charity, patience, persecutions, afflictions, which came unto me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra, what persecutions I endured, but out of them all the Lord delivered me. Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are grateful that we can gather together this morning in your house. We can sing these songs to you, Father. We can lift up our hearts in, in a unity and, and sing of your, your goodness, of your grace, of the hope that we have in Christ. We thank you, Father, that we have no greater hope, Father, that uh, we know who our Redeemer is. We know that our Redeemer liveth. Father, we know that he's coming again someday soon. And Father, I pray you'd help us to be faithful. Lord, help us to set our hope in him and not in the things of this world. Father, we are grateful for your word. And I pray you'd help us this morning as we look at the subject of persecution and preparing for persecution. That, Father, you would knit our hearts together in love as a body. But, Lord, draw us closer to you. Lord, may we love you more and serve you with a greater fervency in these days that we're living. Father, in this dark world that needs light. Needs the gospel. Father, may, be, may we be used by you, Lord, to reach our neighbors, our families, our friends, uh, for the gospel's sake. And Lord, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> may be seated. Paul here in verse number 12 says that all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. When they were, when Paul and Barnabas were going back through the churches that they had established, in Acts 14, verse number 22, part of their message, as they were confirming the souls of the disciples, they were exhorting them to continue in the faith, and they told them that we must, through much tribulation, enter into the kingdom of God. If we're going to follow the Lord we ought to expect, these passages of scriptures tell us, we ought to expect tribulations. We ought to expect persecutions. We haven't really experienced that here in our nation for the past couple hundred years. Early on, there was persecution, but for the most part, we've been free of that. But if we're to follow Jesus, expect persecution. If you're going to follow him wholeheartedly, expect it. Don't be surprised if it comes or when it comes. In Mark 10, verse 29... Says Jesus answered and said, Verily I say unto you, there is no man that hath left house or brethren or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake and the gospels, but he shall receive an hundredfold now in this time houses and brethren and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions, and in the world to come eternal life. We are blessed by being God's children. The Bible doesn't teach a health, wealth, prosperity gospel. The Bible doesn't teach that if you follow me, you'll have no problems. Your bank account will be full. You'll never be sick. The Bible does not teach that. But we are extremely blessed. 
Even if we don't have our, ho- our health, even if we uh, don't have our bank account full, uh, even if we're experiencing hard times, we're still greatly blessed. Here, Jesus says, No one's left house or brother and sisters, father, mother, children, wife for my sake. But now in this life, you'll gain a hundredfold of those things. And you've experienced that. If you're a believer, uh, you've experienced that hundredfold of brothers and sisters around the world that you now have that maybe are even closer to you than your, your blood brothers and your blood sisters. Paul told us that in the last days, perilous times would come. Who is he talking to? Who would perilous times come to? We understand that the wicked, that their way is hard. That the way of the transgressor is hard. We understand, the Bible teaches that. But the Bible also teaches that oftentimes they experience blessings in life. They, they still experience God's goodness. And the psalmist looked at their life and wondered, why are there no bands in their death? Why they, everything just seems to go so well for the lost? Why is that? And he says, I went into the tabernacle and then I understood their end. But for believers, we ought to expect perilous times. We ought to expect persecutions. We ought to expect tribulations. And, and it is coming in this nation. It will come. How, how do we know that? Well, for one thing, the Bible tells us, perilous times shall come. Another thing, we know that the devil hasn't quit trying to fight. The devil's still out in the world. He still thinks he can defeat the Lord. He still is fighting against the gospel. He's still fighting against God's people. So we can expect the enemy to, to be active. When we consider what is persecution. Webster defines persecution as the infliction of pain, punishment, or death upon others unjustly particularly for adhering to a religious creed or mode of worship, either by way of penalty or for compelling them to renounce their principles. The Greek word means to, to, to make, to run, uh, to, to be chased, to be put to flight, to drive away, uh, to run swiftly in order to, to catch someone, to harass, to pursue after someone to endeavor to catch them. And when we consider the persecutions that the Bible describes, the persecutions that have been experienced by God's people throughout the centuries, uh, that they were certainly in flight for their lives. Hiding. We have brothers and sisters around the world today that are, have experienced persecution today. Where they are hidden away. When they are... Uh, meeting secretly. If you remember uh, brother, and his name keeps escaping in my mind, uh, the brother from China, missionary to China. Uh, he and his wife and his son were here. Stewart. Brother Stewart, thank you. Uh, in describing the times that when they couldn't meet in their building, they would, they would get a bus. And they, everyone would get on the bus and they would uh, just go and they'd preach on the bus and worship on the bus and, and it'd park for a while. And if they had to, they'd move to another spot and they'd, they'd preach on the bus. Why were they doing that? Because they can't just open up a, a church building and preach. We have brothers and sisters in North Korea and in other places of the world that are suffering for their faith. They're being persecuted. We consider how will, what can we expect when persecution comes? How will it come? How will persecution come? In what ways can we expect to be persecuted? 
In Matthew 23, verse number 34, Jesus said, Wherefore, behold, I send unto you prophets and wise men and scribes, and some of them ye shall kill and crucify, and some of them shall ye scourge in your synagogues and persecute them from city to city. Jesus described a portion of what was going to take place that God's people have experienced through the years. In Matthew 5, verse 11, Jesus said, Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely. And then the last phrase of that verse is for my sake. The reason why they're doing it is for his sake. Because you're living a life for him. You're trying to be a light for him. That's why they're persecuting you. The world doesn't mind people doing good things. And there are, there are many atheists in the world today that do good things. And they're not being persecuted because they do good things. They're not being persecuted because they want to be honest at work. They're not being persecuted because they want to live a life that is, in their mind, clean and pure. But you stand up for the truth. You stand up and say, uh, I'm living this way because God's word says that. Expect persecution. Expect because of, for Christ's sake. Expect men to revile you and persecute you and shall say, and say all manner of evil against you falsely. Jesus said that it is enough for the disciple that he be as his master and the servant as his Lord. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebub, and they did that to Christ, they call him the devil. He says, if they've called the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more shall they call them of his household? So don't be surprised when people speak against you. In Luke 6, verse 22, it says that men shall hate you. He said, blessed are you when men shall hate you. And when they shall separate you from their company and shall reproach you and cast out your name as evil for the Son of Man's sake. He doesn't say you'll be happy when they hate you and separate from you because you're just a jerk. You're, just, you're such a poor worker that, they can't, that their company loses money anytime you even just show up in the parking lot. That's not what he's saying. <laughs> he's not saying you can just live a rotten life and, and become so hateful to everyone. And, and so when people don't want to be around you, be, be happy. That's not what he's saying. But when you live a life for Christ, when you live a life according to the word of God, when you live a life trying to exemplify Christ and be a light, and they separate from you because of that, they hate you because of that, they cast out your name as evil because of that, they reproach you because of that, then Jesus said, blessed are ye. Jesus told us not to be afraid of them that kill the body. And after that, have no more that they can do. Men have limits to what they can do. The most they can do to us is kill us. And they've come up through the centuries with a lot of creative ways of doing that. We think about examples of persecution of our forefathers. Whether they were branded with hot irons. Whether they were scourged. Whether they were put on the rack and their, their Feet and, and uh, hands were tied and they were stretched over a wheel and had their joints pulled out of, out of place. Whether they were beheaded, whether they were pricked with swords, whether they were flayed alive. 
whether their toenails and fingernails are pulled off with hot pinchers, whether their bellies were cut open while they were still alive and, and filled with hog food and thrown into a, a pen with hogs and had the hogs kill them off, having their tongues cut out, ears and nose cut off, being raped, being disenfranchised where they're basically told you can't own anything. You don't have a house anymore. You don't have cattle. You don't have anything else. Uh, you, you're not even permitted to be in this city. You just need to leave with nothing. That's, those things have taken place. But we're not talking about the Middle Ages Europe. We're not talking about colonial America this morning. What's coming for us here in America now? We consider the direction that America is being driven. We consider our current administration. We consider uh, almost every administration for many decades the direction that our nation is going because of the choices that we're making as, as its people and the choices that is being made by those in authority, the direction that we're going, the, the agenda behind what's going on. We can expect persecution. Now, we can expect judgment from God. And that's not persecution. And, and as God's people, there's been times in the Bible, there's been times where because God's judgment comes on a people, good people suffer. God's people suffer. God's children suffer. Those that have done absolutely nothing wrong may also suffer because of God's judgment. So, but that's not persecution. But we consider the agenda that the world has, the agenda that the world system has, the agenda that the devil has, and, the de- and it's our nation is going right along with that agenda. We can expect persecution. We are quickly becoming a, a socialist nation. And with that comes, comes persecution. We've seen it in the past where Marxism has taken hold in a nation, communism has taken hold in a nation, and the result of that. See, well, that's, we won the Cold War. We didn't. <laughs> it just changed. It just changed. You think, well, we're not, the violence isn't around anymore. No, they, they changed their agenda. They changed what they were doing. They figured out here in America, that's not going to quite work like it worked in, in Russia, like it worked in, in China, like it worked in, other, in North Korea, like it worked in, in Cuba. It's not going to quite work the same in America, so we've got to figure something else out, and they're still winning. But Marx said this in 1844, that the first requisite of the happiness of the people is the abolition of religion. And that has not changed. That agenda has not changed. Under Marxism, the state is, that's the provider, that's the sustainer, that's, that's what's going to uphold all good. It's not God, and you can't claim it's God because that's the state's position. And the state's very jealous. Marxism is materialism, and Jesus told us to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto us. Well, Marxism says, no, that's not true. The first thing you seek is to feed your belly. That's the first, that's, that's the basic thing. You need to put food in your belly. Consider the, the millions, over 100 million, <laughs> over 100 million people. Again, they haven't all been killed for their faith, but killed to push that agenda, which is anti-God, anti-religious, 
over 100 million people over the last 100 years or more. Christianity and Marxism, Christianity and socialism are not compatible. They're not compatible. When Frederick Engels heard that some Christians were using Acts 2 to promote socialism, this is what he wrote. He says, These good people are not the best Christians, although they style themselves so, because if they were, they would know the Bible better and find that if some few passages of the Bible may be favorable to communism, the general spirit of its doctrines is, nevertheless, totally opposed to it. According to Engels, the Bible and Marxism are they're totally opposed. And the new left began and they tried a violent revolution. They realized that's not, that's not going to work. So what did they do? The Heritage Foundation wrote this, by infiltrating the institutions and acculturating Americans to such Marxist ideas as abolishing the family, property, the nation state, and God, they would have to burrow in. If violence came in at all, as Marx had written that it must, it would be more as a final coup de grace after the institutions had been taken over, more than as a bloody, regimen-changing revolution. That's, it's going to come, but that's going to be later. So what have, what have they done? They've been just taking over everything. They've been taking over uh, public education. They've been taking over the schools, starting in the universities, but it's all the way down in kindergarten. Now it's, in, it's in preschool now, where these things are being taught. And their goal, they have all these, think about all the things that are going on in the world today, all the things that the world is trying to push, all the, all the uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, all the agendas. All the things that are important to people. They have their feminist movement. They have critical race theory. They have the whole LGBTQ movement. They have the whole uh, gender equality movement. All those things are just, they're secondary. They're just tools. They have their worldview. And that worldview has nothing to do with Christ or Christians. So we consider the persecutors. We consider who will persecute and who will be persecuted and why. In the Bible, we see that there are many religious people that are, that are the persecutors. And we see this in history with the, during the Dark Ages uh, from 500 to 1500 uh, A.D. Over 15 million uh, people were put to death for their faith. By who? By the religious establishment. Over 15 million. In John 16, verse 2, it says that they shall put you out of the synagogues. Yea, the time cometh that whosoever killeth you will think that he doeth God's service. And Paul described his own life as a, as a religious Jew in Acts 22 in his testimony. He says, I am verily a man which am a Jew, born in Tarsus, a city of Cilicia, yet brought up in this city at the feet of Gamaliel, and taught according to the perfect manner of the law of the fathers, and was zealous toward God as ye all are this day. And I persecuted this way unto the death. Binding and delivering into prisons both men and women. Paul says, I was, I was the most religious person here. And this is what I did. So we can expect those that are religious. And it certainly comes from religious people. But we have, it's the irreligious today. It's those that really they care nothing for God. 
Jesus said, this is the, the condemnation that light is coming to the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. The whole world today is following after this cultural Marxism and all these different agendas, and they love the darkness. If you're going to be a Christian, you're going to be a light to this world, they're going to hate you because of that darkness. They want to embrace that darkness. They want, they want to enjoy that darkness, the absolute stupidity of sin. They want to immerse themselves in that. And for you to sit there and talk about the, the, the stupidity of that sin, they resent that and they will hate you for it. Turn, if you would, over to Ephesians 5. Ephesians chapter 5. Paul says there are some things that shouldn't even be named among us as believers, as those as become the saints. There are some things, obviously, that we should never be involved in. In verse number three. In verse number four, he adds on to that list, neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor jesting, which are not convenient, but rather giving of thanks. He says in verse number five, For this you know that no whoremonger, nor unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater hath any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no man deceive you with vain words, for because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. Be not ye therefore partakers with them. For ye were sometimes darkness, but now are ye light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth. Proving what is acceptable unto the Lord. You know your life, when you live a life that brings honor and glory to God, when you live a life according to the Bible, you prove to the world what's acceptable to God. They know that their lifestyle is not acceptable. They know that the things that they're doing are not acceptable to the Lord. And they may rage against God, say that there is no God. But even how foolish do they think we are? If someone spent their life saying that they don't believe in, in leprechauns, but they, they spent millions of dollars on websites and companies trying to fight against leprechauns. Would you really believe that they don't believe in leprechauns? Why would they spend the money? <laughs> they, they, they really do believe it. And they hate leprechauns. That's what they wanted to do. For, those, for people to spend the time and the money and the energy that they do saying that God doesn't exist, makes no sense. They know God exists. And they hate him. They hate them. And they hate Christians that are going to live a life that shines a light in their lifestyle because you prove what's acceptable to God and they, they hate that. He go, continues on in verse number 11 and says, Have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them, for it is a shame even to speak of those things which are done of them in secret. But all things that are reproved are made, are made manifest by the light. For whatsoever doth make manifest is Light And Jesus told us in Matthew 5, verse 14, that ye are the light of the world. So it can come from those that are irreligious. They, they hate the, the things of God. They hate the Bible. They hate morality. They hate those that live up to that. That's where we can expect persecution from. Because those in religion that have been being used by, they've been just been the useful, it is the useful tools they're now being set aside. They're not needed anymore. Now we can expect it from those that are just openly against Christ. We can expect it from family and friends. 
that don't agree with what, what we're doing. In Mark 3, verse 20, it said, The multitude cometh together again so that they could not so much as eat bread. And when his friends heard of it, heard of what? Heard of Christ's conduct, heard of his preaching, heard of his appointing apostles just taking place just prior to this, heard of him drawing crowds together and, and preaching. When they heard what was going on, when they heard it, of it, they went out to lay hold on him, for they said, he is beside himself. They did, this was Jesus' friends. <laughs> when they heard what was going on, they went out to lay hold on him and said that he was beside himself. If they did, did that to Christ, what can you expect your friends to do? What can you expect your family to do? We consider the persecuted in our text. It says that all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. If you're going to live godly life, expect persecution. If you expect to live a life for the Son of Man's sake, expect them to hate you and separate you from their company and to reproach you and cast out your name as evil. If you're going to live for Christ, if you're going to live for his name's sake, Expect that. Expect that. The Thessalonians experienced great persecution. In the second, uh, First Thessalonians two, verse number fourteen, Paul said, "For ye brethren became followers of the churches of God, which in Judea are in Christ Jesus. For ye also have suffered like things of your own countrymen, even as they have of the Jews." who both killed the Lord Jesus and their own prophets and have persecuted us, for the, and they please not God and are contrary to all men, forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles that they might be saved, to fill up their sins alway, for the wrath has come upon them to the uttermost. He was, he was encouraging them in one way, the church, the church there in Thessalonica. They were experiencing persecution. Why? Because they were doing what they are supposed to be doing because they were preaching the gospel, because they were living a life that was after Christ. And because of that, they were experiencing the same thing that the churches in Judea experienced by the Jews. No, but they're just experiencing it from the Gentiles. You live how you're supposed to live, do what you're supposed to do, expect persecution. You don't want persecution? Live like the world. The devil loves uh, Christians that, that are worldly. He loves that. He loves carnal Christians. He loves Christians that set aside the word of God and say, well, you know what? Yeah, I know the Bible says that, but I have my own life to live. I don't want to live according to God's standards. I don't want to do those things. Listen, you can live an enjoyable life here on earth. You can experience freedom from persecution if that's the road you want to travel. But that road ends in 5, 10, 15, 20 years, 30 years. Maybe it'll end in 70 years. And then after that, you'll stand before your Lord ashamed. If you're truly a believer. You'll stand before him ashamed. For how long? Well, he wiped away all tears from my eyes. That'll happen. That's after the millennium. So you have a thousand years to go through the millennium and, and see what you could have had. See what places of service you could have had. See what opportunity you could have had to serve the Lord during that time. But you're not given that opportunity, you're not given that privilege because you are too afraid of being called a name in this life. 
In 1 Thessalonians 3, verse 1, he says, Wherefore, when we could no longer forbear, we thought it good to be left at Athens alone and sent Timotheus, our brother and minister of God and our fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ, to establish you and to comfort you concerning your faith. So Paul stayed at Athens. He sent Timothy back to Thessalonica to help them because he only spent just a few weeks there. Why do they have to be comforted concerning their faith? He says that no man should be moved by these afflictions, for yourselves know that we are appointed thereunto. For verily, when we were with you, we told you before that we should suffer tribulation, even as it came to pass, and you know it. Peter described those that do well and suffer for it. You don't want to suffer persecution? Don't do well. Don't live the life that you know God wants you to live. Don't live according to the word of God and you won't suffer persecution. But if you want to live according to the word of God, don't be surprised when it comes. Peter said, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing happened unto you, but rejoice inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. If ye be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye. That's 1 Peter 4. If you're reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye. He says, if any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God on this behalf. So we're not going to suffer persecution here. We live in America. America is a Christian nation. For a nation to be a Christian nation, it has to be filled with Christians. And our nation has never been filled with Christians. We started off well. We started off on a good foundation, but to call ourselves a Christian nation when we're murdering how many babies a year, that doesn't sound Christ-like to me. When we have drag queens dance to our kindergartners and rejoice over that and take pride in that, that doesn't sound Christ-like to me. When we have a seven-year-old, eight-year-old, nine-year-old person that says, well, I, you know what, my, I'm a girl. My parents say I'm a boy, but I'm a girl, and I, I need surgery to fix that, and, and we'll go ahead and bypass what the parents say and mutilate the child or give them drugs. That doesn't sound Christ-like to me. In Matthew 13, verse 21, it says, Yet hath he not root himself... Root in himself, but dureth for a while. There's some about seed in the rocky soil that springs up really quickly, but when the sun comes out, it, it withers. He says, He hath no root in himself, but dureth for a while. For when tribulation or persecution ariseth because of the word, by and by he is offended. Persecution will arise because of the word. Because you're living out the word of God, persecution will come. Expect that. Expect that. But persecution does not stop a true believer. A friend of mine wrote a song. He's a, he pastors in California. and He wrote a song called It Was Grace. And he's, it's kind of like a ballad. Uh, and he's wrote the song and it's describing our Baptist forefathers as they were sitting around fires out in the hills. Uh, getting away from, trying to get away from persecution, uh, hiding in caves, singing, worshiping together. 
And the, uh, the song before the chorus says, how did they do that? How did they suffer persecution and endure those things? He said, were, were they a different breed or were they just like me? And the, the chorus says, it, it was grace. It was just by God's grace. And we can go through persecution. We can face persecution because of God's grace. Because of the song that was sung. Christ is our hope. If our hope is, is having a good life here, if our hope is having a smooth sailing here, if our hope is having our bank account secure here, our hope is having our job secure here, our hope is having our uh, cars and, and property secure here, if that's where our hope is, listen, your hope is set on a foundation that is worthless. But if your hope is in Christ, when persecution arises and God's grace is there, you can experience persecution and come through it in a way that honors and glorifies God. In John 16, verse 33, Jesus said, These things I have spoken unto you, that in me you might have peace. In the world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. How should we face persecution? We should be of good cheer. Why? Because Christ overcome the world. In Matthew 5, he says, Blessed are those that are persecuted for righteousness' sake. And how should we react when men shall revile us and persecute us and shall say all men are of evil against us falsely? How should we react? He said, Rejoice and be exceeding glad. How did Paul react? In 2 Corinthians 12, verse 10, he says, I take pleasure in infirmities and reproaches and necessities and persecutions. And distress is for Christ's sake, for when I am weak, then am I strong. He told the Corinthians, being reviled, we bless. Being persecuted, we suffer it. Being defamed, we entreat. In 2 Corinthians 4, he describes the, the troubles on every side, the distress, the persecution, being cast down, the bearing about in his body, the dying of the Lord Jesus, always being delivered unto death for Jesus' sake. He, he describes all that. But he says, we are troubled, but we're not distressed. He says, we're perplexed, but we're not in despair. We may be persecuted, but we're not forsaken. We may be cast down, but we're not destroyed. If Christ is our life... And we have his grace. We can experience persecution. We can say with Paul, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or nakedness or a famine or nakedness, peril or sword? And all these things were more than conquerors through him that loved us. Paul told the Thessalonians, And rejoice in what they're experiencing. He says, so that we ourselves glory in you, in the churches of God. He said, when we go around, when we're in these other churches, when we're preaching the gospel, when we're visiting these other churches, we rejoice in you as a church. Why? He says, for your patience and faith in all your persecutions and tribulations that you endure. When I read of persecutions that our brothers and sisters are enduring around the world, I don't sit in despair. I sit and rejoice. Not that they're suffering, not that they're killed for their faith, but that God has given them the strength to preach the gospel in the midst of very hard things. 
And we can take joy in those things. We can rejoice in what God is helping them to do, but also pray for them, because Paul says pray for them. Pray for those that are in bonds. Pray for those that are being persecuted. We ought to be praying for them. Why would God allow persecution to come? In Acts 8, verse number 4, we see that they were scattered abroad upon the persecution that arose about Stephen. They went around preaching the word. In Acts 11, it describes those that were scattered abroad upon the persecution of, of Stephen. And it says that they traveled and they preached and churches were established, souls were saved and they made it all the way up to Antioch. Why, why did God allow the persecution to come? Well, because they weren't doing what they were supposed to be doing. So God brought persecution and they decided, you know what, it's best that we start obeying and let's get out and preach the gospel. And God blessed them for that. We consider when will persecution come? When can we expect persecution? We consider where the world is at today and how, how brazen they are today. Think about, for those that are older in here, when you were in school. And probably a majority, how many adults in here went to a Christian school? Very little. Most of us grew up in public school. And they weren't good back then. <laughs> a whole lot better than they are now. But consider the things that are being pushed today, being allowed in schools. Kitty litter in the bathrooms because you have, you have kids that identify as cats. And so they'll cater to them and put kitty litter in the bathroom. What would have happened <laughs> when you were in school that happened? They are so brazen today. And the world sits back and says, well, yeah, I don't, you know, that's kind of weird, but, you know, we've got to go along with it. Listen, they're going, they're going along with such stupidity today. We're on the verge of the time when all restraints will be cast off. When hate crime bills are passed, as they are in many countries, persecution is going to come. You say something about that person that says that they're a cat, says that they're a dog, says that they're a bird. You say something against them, you're going to jail. You're, things are happening, you'll be fined. When the cultural Marxists when their agenda is fully entrenched under the guise of social justice, when the complacency of Americans, the blindness of so-called Christianity, they can, they can usher in their own religion, one of the greatest cults that have ever existed, and Christians today, many Christians today, a great percentage of mainline denominations, think there's absolutely nothing wrong with Marxism, and to go along with it. Following this false God. When the Lord so deems it necessary to get us to obey him, preach the gospel to every creature, persecution may come. When these things come into place, persecution will come. But when it comes, are you ready for it? If it should come this week, are you ready for it? How would you stand? 
When it comes, will you deny the Lord? Will you go with the flow? Will you blend in with the crowd? Will you keep your mouth shut, hope that people don't ask too many questions? Or will you stand up and be counted worthy to suffer shame for his name? Turn if you went over to Hebrews 11. We'll close with this passage this morning. Hebrews 11, the great chapter of faith. But we see another thing that it takes, you know, to live for God, it takes faith. Live a life of faith, but also to die for him, it takes faith. If you're not going to live for the Lord, live a life of faith, when persecution comes, don't expect to live a life of faith. In Hebrews 11, verse 32, it says, What shall I, say, uh, what shall I more say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and of Barak and of Samson and of Jephthah, of David also and Samuel and of the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, waxed valiant in fight, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Amen, that's who we want to be. But it was also by faith, in verse number 35, women received their dead, or received their dead, raised to life again, and others were tortured. Others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. And others had trial of cruel mockings and scourgings, yea, moreover, of bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sown asunder, were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and in mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. How did they do that? It's by faith. They lived a life of faith, and when it came time, when persecution came, they, their faith didn't waver. Their faith didn't get set aside. Their faith wasn't put on the back burner until things got better, until uh, things, you know, till the heat cooled down. No, their, their life was just as hot. And they stood up for the Lord, and they lost much. The merciful, the, probably the most merciful were those that were dead, that were killed. Others weren't so blessed as to be killed right away. But how'd they do it? By faith. By God's grace. And when persecution comes, we'll only stand by God's grace. And if we won't live for him now, we won't live for him then. Let's all stand together. We'll close this morning in a hymn, Brother... Jeff, you'd come and lead us in closing him. We all like to say, when, well, when persecution comes, I'm going to stand strong. If we're standing in our own strength, no matter how strong we are, if we're standing in our own strength, we'll fail. Amen. We've got to stand in the Lord's strength. Not just then, but now. Today, this week, you need to stand in God's strength.